no listener behind. This episode of the House of Mystery is brought to you by Legacy Food Storage. The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. LegacyFoodStorage.com Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapira, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. One hundred two point three FM Riverside and one hundred five AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. It's a Halloween show, and we've got a real scary creature with us today. Oh well. Anyway, so Dollar Store Dave. Yes. How was the Halloween? Uh, Karate session. Do you guys do anything special? Um, no, nothing special. No. <laughs> you, guys, you guys dress up in, in Halloween outfits. Is no, there like no. a Halloween belt? I would like to do that. I would oh, love yeah. to dress up, but you know, that's just yeah. But that's something different. Yeah, yeah. They'd probably just beat me up if, if I did yeah, that. You can't beat them. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the wrong atmosphere. It doesn't fit. No. Anyway, but we can't talk about that. <laughs> Scary enough. So, listen, we've got this writer, and uh, he's got what he considers the best book he's ever done out now. <laughs> so it's called Tales of Monster Madness. Mr. David Kemp, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be back. And I know, like we were saying, that every writer feels that way, that whatever book is their new book yeah. is their best book. But I was just going by people's reactions, because wow. like I was saying, these are not characters that I invented or that are like not well-known. These are characters from classic literature like Dracula and the yeah. picture of Dorian Gray and the Invisible Man and the Christmas Carol, a bunch of Edgar Allan Poe stuff, and even some H.P. Lovecraft. So what made you decide to do that? So you've taken, this is a bunch, this is short stories, Correct. right? And all of these are, as you say, um, characters that are known, especially in the horror world, and you've taken them, and you've basically given them new life, so to speak. So wh what was the point behind doing that? What was in your mind? Well, I, you know, it all kind of started when um, my editor, who's uh, also a writer, Al Ciroys, he listed on his Facebook page these public domain characters. And I was like, wow, how much fun would that be to, like, mix and match some of these? And the first thing that I thought of was, what if Dracula fought the Wizard of Oz? That would make a really cool short story. So I started writing the first one called The Great and Terrible, and it's like a, a darker, more dystopian kind of Oz, you know, so it fits Dracula better, you know. It's a much more menacing Wizard of Oz, not that he's not particularly scary on his own, you know, in the traditional sense of the movie, but or even in some of the older books. But I, I really thought, I've never heard of, you know, those two worlds being combined. And then I just started thinking about other stuff. I was like, well, what if uh, the painter that, you know, painted Dorian Gray painted Dr. Jekyll. Then I just started mixing and matching some other things where I didn't want to reveal what I was mixing and matching because I thought that could make like a good twist ending when you see a surprise character at the end. And I didn't know until I saw this public domain stuff, like how much freedom we had to do this. I thought it was, you know, a lot of fun, potentially. Yeah, just remember that 40 years after you're dead, they're, they're going to be taking your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, and rewriting, right? and they're gonna they're gonna make it completely different. Just so you know. Well, I tried to I tried to be uh, respectful to the source material. That's the other thing about my editor Al is that he knows what people would do and say, say like in the 1800s, you know. So it didn't contradict. Was he that old? <laughs> I mean, that's a long time ago. Him to make that me. Um, so yeah, I, I really got into it, and I, I thought. 
this this is really a fun idea. When you were a kid, I don't know if you guys went to like haunted houses, things like that. You always wanted to see everything represented. You wanted to see the vampire, the werewolf, the mummy, or whatever. So you wanted to see like as many different kinds of monsters as possible. And I remember when I was little, I um, do, you, do you guys remember this uh, stop motion animated movie called Mad Monster Party? No, I no. don't. You might be quite a bit. It made the sixties. It had every monster there was, and it left an impression on me. And when I was older, the movie Waxwork. You ever see Waxwork? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's got all those different creatures. Yeah. Uh, it's got a Dracula scene. It's got a werewolf scene. It's got a mummy scene. So it's as many things as possible. But I actually ended up having to cut two stories because my beta readers just said it's not doing it for me. It's not working. So there was a. A Frankenstein and a creature from the Black Lagoon story that, that didn't make the cut, unfortunately. Oh. Sometimes you have to kill your darlings. That's the expression. you got to let stuff go. <laughs> I like the Black Lagoon guy. Yeah, so... What was it that attracted you to certain people? Like, why did you choose certain things? Like, when you chose, like, Count Dracula or... You know, some of them are pretty obvious. I just the idea of him fighting the Wizard of Oz. Oh, so it was more the idea than than the person, the creature. Yeah, I think it could be executed really well to put those two worlds together if I made, like I said, I created a darker version of the Wizard of Oz. It wouldn't go with the light and bubbly Wizard of Oz, but like if he was kind of like this sinister, mad, power-hungry character then in a dystopian Oz, then that would go with Count Dracula. And then it kind of goes a little bit with... Dracula's nemesis, Van Helsing, because, you know, for all we knew, Van Helsing had a spell to get to Oz. He just never talked about it. It's a bit of a stretch, but it still kind of works as long as you create a morbid version of The Wizard of Oz. That's kind of what did it. Yeah, these are things that I grew up reading. I always loved all this stuff. I used to watch the, the creature feature shows of every town has their own kind of thing. Yeah. In Georgia, when I was a kid, we had Dr. Shock and Dingbat. Dingbat was his bat puppet and then he had his assistant nurse good body i know not very creative with the name <laughs> nurse, but, good body. <laughs> nurse good body nurse good body okay being bat and uh yeah it was just it was just a lot of fun and those guys are always great because about half the time the guys that host those shows don't want to do them that's why you get the whole parody of uh monster chiller horror theater you know from joe flaherty on sctv count floyd right, right. you know he's forced to do this monster show that he's not into sven gooley comes out of the <laughs> no, I think he really digs it. Yeah, well, 40 years later, he's still doing it. So it's a especially the dark. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, no, yeah, there's some people that really enjoy it, but I think it's more fun when they don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah, it's more uncomfortable for them. That, that was why that's actually my favorite sketch. That's why I like Count Floyd so much. He comes out of the coffin and howls like a werewolf, so he has no idea what a vampire is. And every week they wait for a scary movie, and they never have scary movies. It's pr it's pretty cool. Um, on the haunted houses, I always went to when I was little. I went to see all the monsters. Uh, as far as trying to do like shorter things, because you, you guys know I've written novels before. I guess I was reading a lot of Edgar Allan Poe stuff, and it was interesting to me how Edgar Allan Poe had this theory, this literary theory, that you don't break the spell if it's a short work. If it's a short story, it holds the reader for as long as it's done in one sitting. And as much as we all love novels, a novel doesn't quite have that effect because you're probably eventually going to put it down and not finish it in one sitting. Right. So I, I guess I was kind of going for the, the short effect there. Right. And I, I put a lot of Poe stuff in this. Um, I know that. Did you guys ever read Poe's The Oval Portrait? No, I don't read. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. You just talk to writers a little. Well, bit. that's a, that's the whole idea, right? You see, you can't. If, if I was a reader, then I would have, you know, I have favorites, you know, people I love and people I don't like and all this stuff. See, I I treat everyone equally. You can be Michael Connolly or you can be David Kemp. I don't. <laughs> Right? I'm not going to have like a feeling toward either one that I have to go either way. There you go. Then so, you can be objective. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I, when I found out that um, Poe's story uh, influenced uh, the picture of Dorian Gray, the oval portrait influenced the picture of Dorian Gray, I was like, all right. And then I'm like, wait, wait a minute. I was like, what if, what if the same artist who painted Dorian Gray painted Dr. Jekyll? What would the picture look like at the end? You know, that would be interesting. Yeah, instead of painting me. A lot of mixing and matching. Well, you said you took liberties with Oz and, and made it darker. Did you have to do the same, or, or did you do the same with um, the classic horror monsters that you were using? That's a great question. A little bit, yeah. Uh, 
I, I've got a Rip Van Winkle story. It's a much dark, it's a much darker Rip Van Winkle story than the one by Washington Irving. Like he wakes up and he's haunted by this creature when he wakes up after you know the 25 years of being asleep. So that would be like changing that and making that kind of creepier and eerier. The other thing too, I was just I was going to like get people's attention right away. I remember a long time ago. This is actually in the 80s. William F. Nolan wrote this uh, piece in this How to Write horror and science fiction book where he said you have to grab the reader's attention like from the first sentence to really get them to read the story you know the first sentence or two so i guess i was relying on short attention spans a little bit maybe for people that don't usually read that much it's much easier to read a short story and think about this people he was saying this in like 1987 he was saying people have short attention spans (laughs) what do you think he would have thought of today (laughs) well he would give up you know I mean, this is a bizarre world we're in. No, actually, you know, one thing, I, I think about this a little bit. You know, I, I think that people are much worse at writing, at grammar, at um, understanding, but they're more apt to publish a book because they can on Amazon. So, well, that's, that's possible. Yeah, so you have a lot more people heading toward writing and putting a book out, even though they're not really at the quality they should be, you know, or that they would have been accepted years ago. How's that? Right. Well, that's why it's good to have, you know, other writers as friends. That's why I cut those two stories as much as I liked them. They, they weren't. And I, and there's, there's like some degree of prejudice against self-published and independently published authors. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it, it's like anything that humans do. We, we lump things in. We put a put the classification, oh, you're self-published and then we just had the concept of what self-published writer would be but there it's not you know well yeah and i've actually heard some criticisms from people that i know that they're like why do you write these books it's not like you're going to be remembered after your dad i'm like i don't know why do you work at walmart you're going to be remembered yeah about working at walmart after your dad well yeah that's right i mean if someone's mean to you just get mean back that's what i would do (laughs) <laughs> but but the whole yeah because i mean you know in a hundred years it, you can't write i don't think this is my thought okay so you can't write something with the hopes that okay i'm going to write these books and i'm going to be remembered in a hundred years from now and all this stuff that's not the, the the idea of writing you're 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 kind of putting your let's say your spin or your feelings and your how you see things or feel things on paper, and you're hoping that others will relate to it, right? You're, or enjoy it, like it, whatever, you know. You're, exactly. And that's all exactly. it's about. It, it, we can only count on our experience today. We don't know what, you know, who knows. I mean, there's a lot of really famous writers and artists and people that have been in a creative, you know, endeavor in their life, and they were not popular or liked when they were alive. They weren't popular, or they they weren't liked and popular. Oh, and now yeah, they're stars. Like, uh, yeah, Van, Van Gogh sold one painting. <laughs> right, right. I mean, there's Mozart. Like people that were during their life struggled, and now hundreds of years later, everybody loves them and their household name. So you you know, well, what good does it do them now? Just saying. Yeah, I, I'd rather write for me now and keep my ear. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Me too. But, you know, the thing is, too, is like, what are you trying to get to, Alan? It's like, what are you trying to achieve? I, I remember, like, uh, when I read Stephen King's book on writing, I, I completely agree with us. A competent writer can learn to be a good writer. Yeah. But a good writer is very unlikely to become a great writer. In other words, I'm not going to write Truman Capote's in Cold Blood or John Steinbeck's, you know, <laughs> Mice and Men uh, or something like that. Well, you never know. There's that one in a million. It's, it's, it's unlikely. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to write an entertaining story that people like. No, nothing too complicated. Right. And there, there's nothing wrong with that. No. Trying to be a competent writer, trying to be a good writer. You know, I also like uh, the, the other thing that I think he put that in the same book. It was, he, he, he said, are you a professional writer? He said, have you ever gotten uh, paid for any of your writing? He said, did the check bounce? <laughs> well, exactly. If the check didn't bounce, you're a professional writer, <laughs> which was hard for me to say, but I, I used to be a newspaper reporter for a small-town paper. And the check bounced. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was too small to bounce. Oh, <laughs> no, no, the check did not bounce. That was funny. Uh, but I'll tell you what. 
you should have gotten paid a lot more for the the torture they put you through with these going to municipal meetings. Oh yeah, yeah. The worst thing in the world is working as a reporter in any field, especially when you're new. I had to go. I had to. I had to go to this meeting. It was three hours every week in this small town. I won't say the small town's name. Uh, it was. They had a sidewalk committee. They would debate every week whether to build a sidewalk or not. And this is every week I had to go through this. It was terrible. And the mayor ran on this slogan. I'm not making this up. Talk is talk, but we need sidewalks. <laughs> well, thank well, actually, we have the mayor on the other line right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, given how many years ago, if you have the mayor, he's not remember. He's not going to remember he's the mayor. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he thinks he's your father. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, and you know what? I mean, I, I I would have volunteered to help them put the sidewalk in after six months. Yeah. Very that was, I guess, a, a semi-professional writing job, I suppose. Yeah, if you're paid and you're writing, you're a professional. I, I've been paid, I've I written. I mean, that's certainly not what I wanted to write about. Yeah, I, and so that's just part of it. You know, that's part of our experience. We all go through things to get where we're going, and you can't worry about it. Don't worry about the noise. You know, don't worry about those people saying that. Oh, no, no. Things, I... You know. If, so, if someone if someone starts said said something to you about your writing, you tell them, look, I don't go to your job and slap sailor cock out of your mouth. So <laughs> don't don't tell me how to do my job, okay? You just tell them that with a straight face, and they they'll never say another word to you again. Probably not. <laughs> well, see, this is I I have a winning point here. Bottom line in the book, what is it? What, what what is it you wanted people like? Did you want people to think something different about each one of these classic heroes? We'll call them <laughs> that you've written about. So when you write about Dracula or Wizard of Oz or different things going on, did you have some sort of thing that you wanted people to take away from it? Yeah, actually, what I wanted people to take away is to like rediscover the classics, maybe, and go read the original material for themselves enjoy the creative spin that I put on mine. And if you're so artistically inclined, maybe try to write some of your own. All right, like we need another writer. <laughs> <laughs> Think about Thanks. the public domain, guys. In 2034, James Bond will be in the public domain. Just imagine. Yeah, I'm going to make him into a drag queen. <laughs> <laughs> Jane Bond. <laughs> And um, Anita Mann, his sidekick, <laughs> Anita Mann. And this is going to be great. I tell you, there will um, be another be a lot of creative spins. Um, yeah. So the other thing, too, is that I think I'm trying to like get people to connect to things that maybe the generations that came after ours didn't really with the, with the classic horror stuff. I mean, you, you have to remember that our generation, like before PG-13, like we had PG movies like Jaws, Burn Offerings, and Poltergeist. Yeah, right. You know, we we got like a real good taste of like classic horror, and there was like a lot of a lot of the low budget movies. You know, like they were saying that certain books shouldn't be published. You know, you could argue certain movies couldn't be made, but shouldn't be made, I should say. You know, my generation, you know, en actually enjoyed being able to go to the the video store and being able to pick out you know all kinds of things that would never be shown in theaters and get some enjoyment from them. Right, right. Or you're like Dave. You go to the dollar store. Yeah. You buy up as much of that as you can because <laughs> Dave in the dollar store. Yeah, well, he he buys all the Blu-rays. Yeah, he buys. You wouldn't believe the finds he gets. He gets all these great movies there that um, you can't even find on streaming. I'm a physical movie oh, really? collector. Yeah. Yeah, but there's something about going to the the video store that was more fun than just streaming it online. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For example. Yeah. I mean, I know, like, a lot of people, like, when I was younger, thought my taste in movies was bad, and my friends like stupid movies, but I stand by Dracula's dog. I think it's a fine film. <laughs> I mean, we, had, we, had to go the, we used to go to the Midnight Movies. We used to see uh, Slumber Party Massacre, and yep. Class of Newcomb High. The classics. Now, now and of course, <laughs> Employ the Wall on the Rocky Art Picture Show, and that brings us to the, the O.J. Simpson comment out. Oh, no. I will never forget this as long as I live. I know that you know a lot about O.J., and you know that people were talking about it in 1995 a lot. Yeah, it was a big deal, you know, 30, 30 <laughs> So that was ago. the last time my friends and I went to the Midnight Movies before this place closed, unfortunately. But it was the Rocky Heart Picture Show, and it was all during the O.J. stuff in 1995. And you know how sometimes they change, like, the stuff that's shouted at the screen to sort of, like, update what's going on now? Right. Um, <clears throat> the part where... 
Tim Curry kills Meatloaf or, you know, Frankie kills Eddie in the freezer, then he, Tim Curry comes out of the freezer and the two assistants take his bloody gloves off. People were shouting, hey, Frank, what are you doing with OJ's gloves? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was like real life entered this sacred movie theater stuff here. And then a couple people were shouting in the back, if the glove don't fit, you got to acquit. Yeah, of course. What else? Yeah. You know, it's true. So that was that. Was that a long time ago. In 30 years. And uh, so I wanted, yeah, I, I did. I did actually want to go through them real quick. The Great and Terrible is about Dracula fighting the Wizard of Oz. Ahab is about hypothetically Captain Ahab surviving the story and then going on to fight another sea monster. The Madness of the Invisible Man is like um, just how you would go insane being invisible. The picture of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is about the same painter that painted Dorian Gray painting Dr. Jekyll. There's Nothing to Fear is about um, Sherlock Holmes finding Moriarty in a cell, but there's something unnatural about him. Something's wrong, maybe supernatural. Here There Be No Tigers is actually, uh, did you guys ever read um, The Lady of the Tiger when you are in school? Yeah. Oh, you did? I, I, I don't remember it, but yeah. Believe it or not, it's a sequel to <laughs> the story of The Lady of the Tiger. Uh, the Dark Sea of Faith is about uh, Pearl, Hester's uh, daughter in The Scarlet Letter. She survives the events of the Scarlet Letter, but she ended up on an island full of people who have a very strange religion, even weirder than the Puritans. Uh, a Christmas Warning is like a small sequel to A Christmas Carol. It's about Ebenezer Scrooge going to America to help uh, another miser who's in danger of becoming uh, somebody who could be helping people when he's not. So there's hellish ghost and things like that. Van Winkle, The Hunted, is about, you know, Rip Van Winkle waking up, but then some monstrous creature is hunting him. And May He Rest in Peace um, is about the, the fictional uh, character of uh, Dupas, the detective and the post stories, and his descendant uh, in modern-day Philadelphia. So it kind of ends on a modern note there. So anyway, th those, are the ten, those are the ten stories. You can get them all in Tales of Monster Madness in one book. Three of them are actually free. And the other ones are a dollar. You can buy them individually or you can buy them in one collection. And I think uh, one of the things that helped them sell a little bit is that my, co my cousin Heather, Heather Selecki, again, did a, an amazing job uh, with, with the covers. They're attention-getting. You're more likely to sell a short story if it has a, a good cover that will grab people's attention. But anyway, anyway, those are the stories, and it's all in one book now. Well, talking about these public domain characters, do you still need to be careful not to go over the line um, into maybe movies and other things that have been copyrighted with these characters? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very careful with things like that. Uh, my, my, my editor Al again knows a lot about that stuff, and he actually just made a, a major book deal here, writing about Sherlock Holmes for uh, a young adult publication. So he's really into Sherlock Holmes, and he knows the ins and outs. Yeah, you, you do have to be careful. And, you, do, you know, if it's like 100 years, you're, you're definitely good. And I was also trying to make it so that basically you'd get this whole world, this whole experience in your head, even if the, the story was not that long. So I kept, like, studying some of these short stories, like Ray Nelson, 8 o'clock in the morning, which became John Carpenter's movie, They Live. And it's only six pages long. And then I reread uh, To Serve Man, you know, Damon Knight, which that, that story became the Twilight Zone episode, and then Shirley Jackson's The Lottery. So I, I was trying to, like, really make it, like, short and exciting so that people would have a good reading experience, and maybe they'd consider reading stuff that was longer than that. Or maybe they'd look at some of the classic short stories. I don't know. I guess it's encouraging literacy anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think that's what the whole Amazon thing is, what I'm saying. But it's uh, not necessarily good literacy. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> you, did you feel like a certain amount of pressure, bud? Do you feel like when you're writing a, a classic character, especially, okay, I go back to Dracula because, you know, the Dacre Stoker's still out there and they're still doing Dracula things. So there's people that have a presence that are still in that realm, so to speak. And that's say that because uh, our mutual friend Chris McCauley wrote the intro to it. Oh, okay. Well, there, well that's what I mean. But did that... Yeah, he, Chris thought it was great. Yeah, oh, good, good. I mean, that's that's a good thing, right? But I was... I mean, yeah, that, that, like that, see, that's with the self-published stuff. Like, that's a good test. Just like I got a good review on Kirkus, and Kirkus can be brutal, so I think that's a test. You know, 
you got you got to like get some strong opinions from literate people before you do publish, or else it'll go back to that stereotype of you know. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think we're stuck with that stereotype for ten more years because there there's in it is inundated with garbage being put out right now, and that'll wear thin. And and you know, if you have a good editor and you have good other writers and beta writers or people telling you readers that this is good and you got good support, it, it's going to be fine. You can't, you know, don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and well, for this, I was really inspired by, did you guys ever hear of a short story collection called My Favorite Horror Story? Oh, sounds familiar, but I don't, I don't know it. I don't. Well, it had introductions from Stephen King, Peter Straub, F. Paul Wilson, and Harlan Ellison, and it was a collection of their favorite short stories and stuff that you might not have necessarily heard of, stuff that wasn't popular necessarily. Like, um, Ellison wrote the introduction to this story called The Human Chair by this Japanese writer, Egoella Rampo, writing name, and the story is phenomenal. And it sounds like it's some slasher thing with The Human Chair, but it's not. It's terrifying, it's scary, nobody gets hurt, and nobody dies, and it's got one of the greatest twists ever. And that's written by Rambo? (laughs) Egoella Rampo, that was his... I can't pronounce the Japanese name. That was the English name that he used as a writer. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wanted to get that kind of that kind of vibe going. So I, I asked some of like, my writer friends, uh, Gary Razor, Lorraine Evanoff, Chris McCauley, Tamara Thorne, and Richard Allen Scott to write uh, introductions to these short stories. Well, that's good. That's good. That's really... I think just to get people, like, in the in the spirit of it, you know. Yeah, and then they know that it's, it's valid somewhat. Because if you got someone good saying, oh, this is a good story, then they're like, oh, okay, that's... But were you worried, uh, like, when you were doing this, does it, if if someone like Chris McCauley would have said, oh, God, this is awful, or this story's bad, would you redo it, or would you not publish something like that then? <laughs> Knowing me, I'd publish it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just I just wonder... Cause yeah, no, like, you gotta, you got to keep in mind, like, you know, I, I, like, uh, I like the So Bad It's Good movies, too. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. When I, when I was a kid, we 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 rented the best movies Seven Eleven had to offer. Well, and I still do. <laughs> I'm I'm glad Chris liked it. How's that? <laughs> yeah, no, I just I just I just wonder. Like, do you, I think what I'm asking here, in a really easy way of saying it, is: Are you thinking about the reader when you write a story like this? Probably not at first. At first, I'm just all excited that nobody thought of Dracula and the Wizard of Oz before. I'm excited that I'm, as far as I know, I'm the only person that had the artist from Dorian Gray paint Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I'm, I'm, I'm more excited about the premise than anything, the first draft. Right. Well, I'm pretty sure that no one else. The second draft, you start to think of other people. So you start thinking of it when you're kind of in a, more of an edit frame. Yes, yes. And then... The other thing that you learn in Stephen King's book on writing is the editor's always right. And then the second rule is the editor's always right. If you're confused about number two, see number one. <laughs> so you, you you have to get yourself a good editor. You know, you really do. Unless the editor dies. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, sure, that happens. But get, there's probably another good editor out there somewhere, I would think. Yeah. No, I think it's really important. Anytime. That's the only thing, only advice that you could really give someone to in, in writing is that get a good editor, have a good editor, and it makes all the difference. The rest is just stuff, but editor will will really help a lot, you know. Yeah, and it would really help, um, I think, a lot of the people that are writing their first self-published book. Oh, totally, totally. I always say that. If someone asks how to how to get published, I always say the first thing, you know, get a really good editor. And So, you guys have any special plans for Halloween? You do anything special? It's going to be this night by the time this airs, so. no. No, I turn off all my lights, close all the windows, and I remain quiet. <laughs> I have a martial arts class that night. Yeah, he dresses up in a in a pumpkin yeah. outfit and goes <laughs> and does does karate. <laughs> <laughs> and the kids oh, come to boy. the door, and he uh, opens the door and he kicks them. Ah, yeah, and he steals <laughs> their candy. Oh, he's really mean. Terrible. Before I forget, guys, this is also my first book that actually has an audio book. Oh, did you do the audio, or did you hire? No, someone? no, no. My friend Wesley did. He's he works uh, for Dead Airwaves, which puts a bunch of uh, like short horror stories on uh, 
on this podcast. So I, I actually have three of my stories on the podcast. It's called Dead Airwaves. Oh. And, you know, he, uh, Wesley does a good job with all the different voices and everything. Um, certainly better than my Michael Caine impression. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's for sure. But that's, <laughs> but that's, that's, that's a really good idea. Just so you know, I think that's a really good idea because podcasts are another thing. There's too many of them out there, and there's not very much original. And I think that's great. That's a great idea. Someone. Oh yeah, there's got you know, uh, my friend Gary Razor stories in there. Elizabeth Massey, uh, William F. Nolan, some of his old stories. Richard Matheson stuff is on there. It's really good. Uh, and then Wesley told me he lives in this part of Pittsburgh, this small town, where see my favorite Halloween movie of all time. I like all the first four Halloween movies, but Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, always holds a special place in my heart. I think it's just the perfect Halloween movie. So he tells me that Tom Atkins, uh, the actor from The Fog and Halloween 3, lives in his town. And I said, that guy better thank his lucky stars that I don't live there, because he'd have like a restraining order. He would think I was crazy. I'd be like, tell me again about how you fought the pirate ghost. Tell me again how you conquered that evil druid who went to kill all the kids with a mask on Halloween, you know, he'd be like, uh, get this nut away from me. It would probably be like the actual last line from Halloween 3, which is, stop it, stop it, for God's sake, stop it. He'd probably actually be saying that to me. Because those are like my favorite movies ever. I don't know, have you seen him? He's kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever, you've actually met him? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go near him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, I I don't know. I I, 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 I I'm kind of scared. That's there's very few. I mean, I, I I'll hang with Courtney Love. I won't hang with anybody. No. Okay. So I got, I got a, you think I got the movie drove him insane? Yeah. yeah there's something. He he looks really rough. Okay. He's he's really okay. Well, well if you saved the world from a crazy druid, you'd be rough too. You know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what I was and we snuck into the movies to see that. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, this guy's a doctor. Um, well, he's, he's always drunk. <laughs> I'm like, perfect. he's never coming back to see his kids from his, from his marriage. And he takes off with this 20-year-old girl and just leaves. I was like, what kind of a doctor is this? <laughs> That's the one you want. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is the hero of the movie. Yeah, because anytime you need any certain drugs, you're going to get them. <laughs> That's a good doctor. Well, you know, that's why I don't do my Michael Caine impression at AA meetings, because if I went, Michael Caine, you know, they they might think I yeah. have some drugs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard it. I've I have heard to say one that. more than I promise I'll stop. My, my son Andrew said, Dad, just talk about your books. You don't want to be that Michael Caine guy. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> well, you know, um, look well, for yeah, the young. But, Exactly. He, he thought it was uh, he thought it was funny. I'll, I'll just stop with if this is actually airing on Halloween, right? Yeah. How about I like Halloween? It's not many people know that. No. Is that <laughs> Didn't it? Like it. <laughs> oh boy. I, I can't resist. I'm, at least I'm not. At least I, I dropped the idea of the ventriloquism over there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing. You know. I heard was, Michael Caine is retiring. I can't believe it. What is he, 98 or something? Yeah. What are we going to do for actors? I actually did see him on an, on like a show where he, he actually talked about the dreaded Jaws movie, too. Oh, Jaws the Revenge. Yes, the one that I have that blurb from. Yep. He uh, he said, you know, never see me a Jaws film. <laughs> oh. So he never saw it. He, he took the money for the house. So Craig Ferguson, like, he's, you know, he's, he's always got like a glass of scotch wherever he is. Yeah. <laughs> they even had Michael Caine in space, and he had no helmet, but he was drinking a glass of scotch. Poor Michael Caine. Yeah, that was that was pretty funny. Yeah, he's a good guy. Let's, listen, so what's what's going on here now with your? Uh, are you still? Um, aren't you doing uh, something? What do you What do you do? You um, you're a stripper. Are I you to do the magic? You mean? Uh, no, you yeah, the master of horrors. Uh, oh yeah, I still, I still interview people for that. Yes. You still do that? Masters of Horror UK. Yeah, I, I've interviewed a lot of people that uh, you know I've liked quite a bit. You know, I interviewed Weymouth Nolan, Jonathan Mayberry, the composer of Halloween Three, uh, Alan Howarth, oh. um, and of course I interview a lot of new people and stuff too. You know, so yeah, I keep up with that with doing the interviews with that, and sometimes when I do book sales, you know, I I do a little 
amateur magic act they were there to justify my obscene amount of magic that I have. You know, you talk about, it's the same thing with the writing. You know, I, I don't have no, any pretense of, I'm not going to be David Copperfield, but, you know, maybe I can be uh, a fun, entertaining magician for 15 minutes, you know, and if you want to buy a book or not, that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't do anything with uh, people that drink anymore, because, like, every time you do magic around people that drink, it's, it backfires. Oh, yeah. And I, there's always that one guy who calls you over to his family, and he's drunk, the family's embarrassed. Yeah. And he's always like, hey, Mr. Magician, come here, come here. Like, hey, you do magic, right? And like, I'm like, yeah. He's like, do you think you could make my wife disappear? He always thinks he's the first guy who ever thought of it. Yeah, of course. And he always thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. But, yeah. you know, you got to put up with Goodreads reviewers who don't read your books. you got to put up with, you know, people that aren't going to appreciate your magic. But then there's a lot of people that do appreciate your magic and a lot of people that, that do appreciate your short stories and your books and things like that. So you've got to concentrate on that. So, <laughs> and now it says that you've written two children's books. So, so someone with as warped a mind as you writing these sort of stories, you write children's books? Well, you know, they're, they're pretty sweet, innocent books, even though uh, the one is, you know, a book about addiction. <laughs> that I wrote, I, you know, I wrote with my son Andrew, but uh, my my therapist, who sadly just passed away, he had a very, very dark story about the children's book, uh, the one about addiction, the Wisdom Tree. And he said, "I want you to know." He goes, "I, I gave this to uh, one of my clients, my patients." He's like, "And uh, it changed his life." He's like, "And I'm like, oh, that's great." I said, "He decided to stop drinking or using drugs." He's like, "No, no, 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 no." He's like, um, "He goes." This guy and his girlfriend that volunteered in this prison, they, they gave him a copy of the Wisdom Tree, and it taught him how to read. I was like, he learned how to read from my kid's book. He, he's like, yeah. He's like, and this guy's going to be there a long time because he murdered his wife and put her body in a dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Wow. And he goes, yeah. He goes, I can relate to these raccoons, and this is teaching me how to read. Hmm. You know. You've got a future. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't let anybody tell you that you're not going anywhere. You tell them you got a future. It would no, it would it that. would be improper to sit down at this point. You got to keep going. This is uh you you've got too much influence in this in this writing thing. So don't quit. I I I have no intentions like like I like I said. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it, it brings me happiness and joy, just like reading does. You know, I'm one of, not just one of these people that publishes on Amazon. I also like to, to read books. I wish I would read different books. I, I seem obsessed with the same books. I, every October, I read Salem's Lot again. It's ridiculous. Well, why don't you throw something different in there? Yeah, I should. I should. Because like, maybe it'll change. Because it, it, it might change something when you go to write your next book. It might give you a new spin. Yeah, and... Uh, and you get a different perspective when you hear other people read your books, like uh, with uh, the Dead Airwaves, and they're also interested in actually producing some of my plays that I came on your show about as audio dramas. Oh, there you see, that would be good. I think that's kind of the ne next little wave is a lot of these audio dramas. They're kind of going back. Um, I'm seeing more of it. Yeah, it's crazy, because, you know, that's like something your grandfather's grandfather got their entertainment from. Listen, that's all I listen to every night. It's the old shows from the 30s, 40s, and 50s on the radio. Oh, really? That's all I listen to. i got hundreds of them. Like The Shadow and all yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Well, The Shadow and The Whistler, not so much sometimes uh, when I want to just go to sleep. But um, there's a lot of other shows that I listen to, a lot of horror and mystery and, and crime and terror stories that um, are great, really good, really good stories. So I listen to them all the time. Yeah, there's some, uh, there's some good classic old stories. I actually watched... Um the uh, original murder on the Orient Express the other night, you know, the one that had like Sean Connery and John Gilgood and like all these older actors. It was uh, it was really good. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Some of them are. And it didn't need big special effects or like CGI to make the landscape look lush. You know what I mean? Right. Like I, I like I like old movies that have the matte paintings. Remember them? Yeah. Well, I think they have to call that Murder on the Asian Express now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you just, know, just I, I'm a Agatha Christie fan a little bit. Obviously, I like the horror more than that. Of course, you know, I like. Well, you should, you should, like, you should throw some comedy. You should read some comedy and read some, 
crime and you throw some other stuff in. You might have a new twist. I mean, if you come up with a uh, book two of this, you might have, you know, Maud and Roseanne getting together somehow. And, <laughs> <laughs> and the tales yeah. of Monster Man. You have Inspector Clouseau and Sherlock Holmes to all the case or something. Yeah, like, you know, you just never know. Uh, but, so or do you think do you think you'd go into a, a book two of this, Tales of Monster Madness 2? and kind of pick up again and do more? Um, actually, right now, Alan, I'm working on more short stories. I'm working on writing 10 ghost stories. So you're into paranormal. Um, I, I, you know, I kind of got like a sudden interest in ghost stories all of a sudden. Uh, you know what it was? After Peter Straub died, I reread Ghost Story, and then I saw the 1981 movie. Then I started reading some of the older ghost stories, and um, I started listening to... Uh, this Facebook friend of mine on her podcast, her name is Spooky Boo Rhodes, and I started listening. I, I love the way she narrates these ghost stories, and all of a sudden, I just I got hooked on ghost stories. Made your nipples hard. What exactly? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm writing some of them right now. Well, that's interesting. And rewatching a lot of the episodes of like The Twilight Zone and things like that. Yeah. Just to, to just to get the twist ending stuff and Night Gallery. If you remember that one? Oh yeah, another yeah. Sterling one. Yeah. Yeah, I watch those on and off. You know, when you write a short story, what's 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 the secret? What's the trick to being able to write something in a really short, you know, time, short space, not so many words, and yet have people? Well, I, yeah, well, I read a lot of, you know, just to get an idea of the style of it. I think like when I read Shirley Jackson's The Lottery and some of these other things where I wanted a twist, I kind of knew what helped was I knew where I was going because I did the ending first. So that. That really helped a lot. So knowing where you're going. Does that take a lot of editing to try and get? Like what I'm saying is, okay, you only have so many words, so many pages, and you have this thing that's going to happen, this and some terror or whatever you got going on. But how do you make it so that me as the reader understands that character or your characters really well in a short time? Well, with Tales of Monster Madness, it was easy because you already know who Dracula that's is. True. Yeah. Um, you. you you know, you might know the painter from Dorian Gray, maybe not. That's a little lesser known than Dracula one. Uh, you know, you might know the Invisible Man. You might know Rip Van Winkle. You know, you don't have to be from New York State to know that one. Everybody knows that legend. What? It's not as famous as Sleepy Hollow, but it's pretty famous. Yeah. Same writer. So, like, the familiar tropes and characters, you know, uh, and, and, and trying to grab your attention from the beginning, that was, like, what William F. Nolan wrote, and... How to write horror, science fiction, and fantasy, you know, in 1987, grab the attention, the, the first sentence. Because what he used to do, what Nolan used to do, was he he would take unsolicited manuscripts that wanted to be in the magazine, and he would open up the envelope, and he would literally read the first sentence or two. And if the first sentence grabbed his attention, he would read the whole story and consider it. And if he didn't, he stole the first sentence and used it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he needed to do too much material. <laughs> He's like my favorite writer of all time. Um, it, it, it was strange that somebody who, you know, the movie where everybody got uh, euthanized at the age of 30, that he ended up being in his 90s. But um, I, I think you've got to hook the reader's attention. That was also in uh, The Arabian Nights. The, the storyteller in the market tells the girl that she has to hook people from the beginning. And, of course, you know, every story she told was keeping her alive every night. Definitely the attention grabbers. And I think with people's short attention spans, I think I think short stories are going to make a comeback. I could be wrong, but I think they are. Well, what was the most challenging story for you to write in this collection? Uh, I, guess, I guess I could say the ones that I cut. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... <laughs> You know, and I really, I really liked, I was all excited about them. And uh, my friends are like, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, but this is such a great ending. They're like, no. Nah. <laughs> like, they're like, do you want me to be nice or do you want me to be honest? <laughs> <laughs> so what happened was they got too complicated yeah. from the way that I do things, you know, tracing things back from the ending. Oh, yeah. right. Um, I just, I started, like, it started going in all these crazy directions, and I just had to cut it. Um, probably the, the Poe-based story, May He Rest in Peace, that was kind of hard a little bit, um, because I had to really work on keeping it in the style of Edgar Allan Poe, and then updating it to the, the modern times. Uh, I went and read, you know, some of his 
like the murders in the Rue Morgue and things like that to get um, a better understanding of Dupas, who's actually, you know, the first detective. He invented detective fiction. That was the first detective character before Holmes. Yeah. yeah. And with the Sherlock right. Holmes story, I was very lucky that my editor, Al Soroy, is that he is just an expert on Sherlock Holmes. There was no way he was going to let me screw up Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So I was lucky in that way. And, um, yeah, I guess the two stories that I cut and the Edgar Allan Poe story were probably the probably the hardest ones yeah. to write. I think uh, I think the one about the Wizard of Oz and Dracula is probably the most fun to write. Yeah. So now you've written this, and you you know, and you, and you're doing this. You said you got really good feedback, and that does that does that help you get um, get dates? <laughs> you know, to, get, to say, well, I'm a famous writer. And, you know. <laughs> Only with the most illiterate. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> What if I say, if I wasn't famous, would I have a website? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just, just throwing it out there, you know, maybe. <laughs> Actually, what's funny is I've had some ladies come up to me in AA and ask uh, me to sign books, and, like, people have gotten mad at me. I didn't sell the books in AA, you know what right. I mean? They just, they just happened to buy them. Yeah. No, you just leave them there. That's what you go to AA and leave them on the test. <laughs> You know, I go everywhere I can and leave books anywhere I can, you know. <laughs> just as long as I don't get arrested. Well, uh, no, that's why I don't make the Michael Caine joke at an A meeting. <laughs> I don't want them to think that I have anything to do with cocaine. No. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's just, you know, yeah, you get to meet some people through book signings and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I just thought maybe, you know, it's your road to happiness here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, well, I don't know. Writing the stories makes me happy. Well, that's all that matters. You get, it gets your inner child going, you know? Yeah. Probably the same way that it does with the radio drama as you listen to. You probably feel that sense of wonder. I don't feel I don't. much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laying there dead, you know, with my dog. Just, just <laughs> dead. I listen to him breathe, you know. He's getting old. and just kind of think about how much longer. Is... Do, you, do you live out in the country? No, I've got three acres. Like, I've got three acres, so I've got a little bit of space. That's a lot, actually. Well, I'm old. I need it. So you, so you, you like, live, like, closer to the woods. Yeah, there's woods around me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I overlooked the yeah, water, and I've got three acres, so there's some trees. And, yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's kind of my resting spot. That's nice. Well. That's very, that's inspiring for writing, I would think. No, not at all. Are you kidding? Uh-uh. No, people say that to me, too, and I was like, no, it's never inspired me to do anything. Not as far as writing goes, no, because, I, 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 you know, I'm writing darker stuff, so this isn't inspiring for that. I don't write cozies. Yeah, yeah, that's actually how most of my editing friends make their living, is editing what they, I, I don't even know what this is, a cozy mystery, they call yeah. it. That's just a mystery with no sex and no murder, no violence. So it's like murder yeah, she murder wrote. she wrote, basically, that's what it is, murder she wrote. And, uh, yeah, it's just a very light, it's a way of going through a crime that it doesn't really, you know, so-and-so got murdered, and then they've got to figure it out, and that's it. You know, it's not really about... Yeah, well, yeah, just kind of the, the way that the A-team got shot at every week and never nobody ever got killed. <laughs> I'm always wondering about this sweet old lady that knows somebody that's a murderer every week. Well, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> there's more to it than me. <laughs> there's a lot more going on there, right? It's like, remember there that show called the Snoop Sisters? I could, no, no I'm not that was the same sort of thing as Murder, She Wrote, and and it was just two uh, two old ladies that did the same thing. But at least they called them Snoopy Old Bags. That's how come they kept coming across crime. <laughs> you know, Murder, She Wrote was all polite, you know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So listen, okay, so now the book is available, and it's on Kindle and audio. Is it on paperback as well? It is. It's on paperback as well. And this is at? Makes a perfect, perfect, you know, reading for Halloween. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every, you know, it's great in the bathroom because the short stories, you can do one story every <laughs> sitting. It's the perfect size for bathroom reading. <laughs> short stories are the best. Exactly. Well, you know, because the other one gets too long and your legs fall asleep. Exactly. Yeah. And it's characters, like I, like I said, it's characters you're already familiar with, so I think that helps a lot, too. No, I just, just a good thing. Uh, yeah, like, like I said, I, maybe it's just because I got excited writing about it. Maybe that's why I think it's the best. But 
it's also the the feedback I've gotten from other writers. Of course, you know, I'm showing it to horror writers, so they're going to like stories about Dracula and the Invisible Man. Right, of course. You know, Dracula, Invisible Man, what more could you ask? This is it. Exactly. Wow. And Edgar Allan Poe, and finding out what happened to, to Pearl and the Scarlet Letter. <laughs> well, yeah, you see, you get it all here. All one-stop shop. And One you can sit in the bathroom, exactly. you can hang out in the porch, whatever you want to do. Oh, wonderful stuff. And then if you need some paper to wipe up some blood in the morgue, you've got it. Exactly. You know, throw the book on it. If you're, if you're in prison for murdering your wife, it'll pass the time by. <laughs> well, let's not talk about personal stuff here, okay? Yeah. That's a true story, by the way. I, I still can't believe that, but the guy actually learned to read from that. Well, there you go. You know, it, it's, it's good to be a positive influence in the world. Yeah, especially with so many negative things going on, right? I mean, exactly. if you can come out of it ahead happy and actually helping someone, that's great. <laughs> I tell you, nothing would make me happier than that. Exactly. Well, so the book, Tales of Monster Madness, and the author is Mr. David Kemp. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me again. Happy Halloween, guys. Thanks, David. Are you prepared? Legacy Food Storage. The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. Go now to LegacyFoodStorage.com. Use coupon code HOM15 now for 15% off. Quick, go.
your CNBC News affiliate. We're the station that gets down to business. This segment brought to you by our community sponsor, Vegan Corner of Grand Terrace. Vegan Corner with a K.com. Approximately 3 billion pizzas are sold in the U.S. each year. And Vegan Corner sells their share too. Americans eat approximately 100 acres of pizza each day, or about 350 slices per second. October is National Pizza Month. Thinking about pizza now? Tired of your same old pizza routine? Then spice up your pizza universe with a more healthy, yet flavorful pizza with Vegan Corner. Vegan Corner doesn't cut corners with their plant-based, gluten-free pizza. And if you don't believe me, ask my uncle Antonio. Oh my, how could that taste good, you say? Lots of people say that Vegan Corner's pizza is amazing. A pizza miracle. All plant-based and gluten-free. No meat, no dairy. No problem. Lots of taste. No trans fat. Low sodium. Low calorie. No guilt. And lots of love combined with rich sautéed veggies on a tasty thin crust. Oh, so saucy too. It's a pizza miracle. It's vegancorner.com. That's right, a vegancorner.com. Don't forget, it's spelled with a K. Like when people ask you if you want another slice. You'll be sure to say, okay. <laughs> you can order online at vegancorner.com or call 909-370-2644. That's 909-370-2644. Vegancorner.com for Vegan Corner of Grand Terrace. It's a pizza miracle. <laughs> You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM. The station that leaves no listener behind. 